What's up, heretics? My name is Brian. Welcome to The Church Split. Today we're going to talk about how to escape your echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course challenge the status quo. Today we're going to challenge the status quo of the, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, or the Holiness Movement. Um, I was sent this uh, by a friend um, that I listened to over the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, had a couple things to say. This is a video from um, a church called the Haven of Hope Tabernacle. They are in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And it's a video put out by their pastor named Brent Markey. Uh, this is in response to a page on Facebook and a organization, and now I think a podcast too, called The Brian Holiness. Um, and this is very similar to a lot of stuff that we've talked about on the channel. We've talked about uh, the IFB quite a bit, the Independent Fundamental Baptist uh, Church. My co-host, Will, uh, grew up in that movement, and uh, we've done a lot of responses to some of the extra-biblical teaching and the legalism that is espoused in many of those IFB churches. And I say many because not all. Um, and uh, definitely want to make sure we're not being too general today as we talk about another church that has very similar standards um, and I would say some extra biblical teaching as the IFB. Um, the Pentecostal Holiness Movement, uh, they are King James only. They have similar dress standards. I would say music standards are a little bit different. They are against movies um, and a lot of other things. Uh, TV internet. <laughs> they definitely don't like Facebook, which you'll hear about today in this video. Um, but I thought this was an interesting video to respond to. One, it's responding to a movement inside the holiness community that's very similar to the IFB exodus that we saw, we've talked about for a couple years. Um, the other thing is it's important because it, it gets at a little bit different take on some of these issues. Um, and while some of the preaching style, some of the argumentation um, will sound familiar, it's different. And so I'm going to try to play a lot of this clip uh, as much as possible so that we can let what he's saying speak in context. But I wanted to set up some of the context of this video. But before we do, don't forget to do the internet things, like and subscribe, or don't. If you don't, that's fine too. We really don't care. Uh, subscribe if you want to see more. Don't subscribe if you don't. It makes it very easy that way. Um, so this is uh, a video that was released in June of 2023, and it was a response to this Berean Holiness page. Now, he's going to say a lot of things about the Berean Holiness, and he's going to make a lot of comments about this person named Natalie, who is one of the co-founders of this page and this organization. And I wanted to read in her words kind of who she is first to kind of set the stage because I think it will matter because he's going to make some points really early on about her salvation and what her desires are. So why not hear from her first before um, we hear him characterize what she believes? I think this will be only fair. She says in her page, over and over again, by the way, this is easy to find if you just go to their Facebook page. Hi, I'm Natalie. I'm one of the co-founders of Brian Holiness and currently serve as the executive director. For those of you who are new here, allow me to introduce myself. I grew up in independent Trinitarian Holiness Pentecostal churches, attending six in three states. They were all tight-knit communities where fellow attendees felt more like family than friends. Although not always understood, I felt known, valued, and seen. Many church people believed in me and invested in my life, and I'll always love them for it. 
As a homeschooler who chose biblical Bible school over college and ministry over a career, my church group was always my whole world. In my late teens, early 20s, I devoted my time to starting youth outreaches, interning at a holiness church and serving missionaries abroad in Asia and Europe. The future seemed bright. Yet a secret had been eating at me for eight years. In my efforts to defend our rigid holiness standards, I had, I had, to my shock and dismay, realized they weren't biblical. Tired of living in cognitive dissonance, I privately let authorities know I was happy to continue abiding by our strict dress standards, but could not enforce them and could not agree that Christians who, who differed were lost. Just like that, it was all gone. Phone calls were made. I was labeled a backslider. I was dismissed from holiness ministry. Several of my closest friends and mentors cut me off immediately, and I found myself abruptly homeless, living out of my car and out of the hospitality of total strangers. I am so, so grateful that happened. Without that experience, I might still be bending over backwards to, the, to be the perfect holiness girl, oblivious just to just how much we were distorting the gospel with extra-biblical requirements and how cult-like we were to assume that our tiny sect was God's one true church. I've since completed a BA in Christian Counseling and a MA in Biblical Exposition and now happily married to my husband, Cole. To answer the FAQs, no, I'm not a Calvinist. Yes, I still consider myself a conservative evangelical Christian. I am unashamedly pro-life and I hold traditional Christian values. If you're looking for just another deconstruction ex-evangelical, I'm afraid you won't find that here. But if you're interested in leaving hyper-fundamentalism and embracing the historic Christian faith, I hope you pray the Brian Holiness resources will be a blessing as you pursue Christ and disentangle faith. In Christ, Natalie. So that's what she says over and over on her page, um, which to her credit was very easy to find because she posted several times. Probably because pastors like Pastor Brent are making crazy claims about her. Now, I don't know Natalie. I'm just stating what she's saying on her page. I'm taking her for what, what is at face value what she's posting. And I'm going to take Brent for face value of what he's posting. Hopefully that's it, the least um, judgmental, hypocritical way that I can take this so that we can try to get some of the truth and respond to some of the claims that Brent is making. So um, he's responding to some of the stuff that's going on this page. There were some comments made. He's responding to some of those. I don't know if those are true or not. I don't know who said them. He doesn't really say. And he's also a little upset because they got this, what they're calling this freedom conference um, or call to freedom conference that the Brian Holiness Group is putting on back then. They use one of his clips from one of his sermons or talking to the youth group or something um, in their promo because they said he gave them free advertising. So um I think the Berean holiness are a little bit cheeky, and I kind of appreciate it because that's kind of our style, a little sense of humor, um, not take yourselves too seriously, and enjoy that um, we can have fun being in Christ and sanctified and not take everything so seriously. So with all that set up, let's hear from Brent, Pastor Brent, and see what he has to say about Natalie and the Berean holiness movement organization. Facebook page. Let's start with what what what's, what has went down for those who say, what's this about, Brother Brent? Well, again, the, the, it's to give answers, to give answers to us for some many questions that's being asked. But well, about three weeks ago, uh, it started earlier than that, 
I began to hear about this this movement out there, this this Facebook. I, and I know you're not going to believe this, but I've yet to even be on the site. I've never been on the site ever. Never been on the site. I've been told a few things here and a word here and a word there. I've never been on the site. Have no need to be on the site. There's nothing new there. I pastor in a town with with all kind of people that believe exactly what they believe. They're fighting old time holiness. I'm surrounded by this. It's been this been going on for a hundred years. Uh, it's been going on especially for 60, 70 years ago when my uncles pulled out of denominations that was asking all these same questions. I mean, this is so why am I why would I be worried about it after all this time? And I'm not. But there are four groups of people that God spoke to my heart. He gave me two first and he added two more. And we're going to talk about them tonight. There are four groups of people that these kind of groups prey on. Okay? And, and this is why I told my church, stay off of there. Do not, do not get on these websites. Oh, you're not, why are you so worried about it? I'm not worried about it at all. But I am worried because there's four groups of people that, that people like Natalie and these people with her prey on. Number one, they prey on the feeble-minded. The Bible says we are to comfort the feeble-minded, not convert the feeble-minded. They prey on people who, who don't have a lot of intellect, who do not know, and they're easily swayed, easily turned, easily moved. So they prey on the feeble-minded, okay? I work with some of those people. I might even qualify, who knows? I have had chemo shots in the eyeball for the last 10 years, and it has made me a little foggy. So if I don't get every word right, and my memory's not just perfect, again, they asked me to take it live. I said, no. They asked me to take it and record it and we can edit it. No, we're not going to edit nothing. This is just who we are. This is who I am every day. So they pray on the feeble-minded. Then the Bible talks, they, they pray on those that are wounded, the hurt. Oh, you're hurt. You're hurt. Let us help you. Well, there's always hurt people. And anybody that's hurt wants somebody to pet on them and, and, and that. So they, they, they pray on the hurt. Uh, then they pray on new converts. They pray on new converts, novices, people that don't have any time in this, don't have any understanding, don't have any knowledge. And last but not least, they, they, they don't really pray on these people, but they, this is the majority of the people that get on their websites. And again, from the screenshots that have been sent to me, it's very clear. And these are the Bible people, the Bible calls these people willfully ignorant. And so, obviously, he's a little upset about this Facebook group. He says he doesn't go on Facebook. He's later going to say that he actually does go on Facebook, but only for Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> um, and it's, it shouldn't be lost on anyone, the irony that he is essentially preaching about going against, um, going on websites, <laughs> social media, while he posts this to YouTube, which is a website social media page. <laughs> But don't worry, the, the irony will keep on flowing um, as we watch some of this. But uh, he says, he's talking about four categories of people that he's saying that this group is preying on. It's not that they're just helping, but they're preying on them. Now, he's also talking about those that are hurt. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably agree with a lot of what he says is probably his take on those in victim culture. We've had a lot of episodes on here about victim culture and people using victimhood to essentially give them status, give them currency. Um, I think Michael Knowles said it a couple years ago that said, uh, when you make victimhood currency, expect counterfeits. So there are counterfeit people that claim victimhood because it gives them something. 
Um, so that shouldn't be lost on anyone, and that shouldn't that should be considered in any of these movements that are deconstructing. And we heard in Natalie's statement even that she was saying, if you're here just to leave Christianity, move on. That's not one of those places. Now he's going to claim it's one of those places, and probably she has a lot of people that are still like that on that page because that's just how it happens. Churches have unbelievers too that are that are against Christianity in their churches. Um, you'll see that in, in many communities. That's not that's not. We use the genetic fallacy or the fallacy of composition to say that because those people exist in some movement, then the whole thing is trash. Um, that would be a logical fallacy. So let's not commit that one today. Um, you're also saying that she's preying on new believers, recent converts, um, and those that are uh, against the gospel, essentially. Um, yeah, uh, maybe. I would hope that a movement like the Berean Holiness Movement is helping people that are against the gospel. Um, because there is only one unforgivable sin. So assuming that they haven't committed that, there is forgiveness in Christ. And I think any movement that is proclaiming Christianity and the gospel should be reaching out to those that are still against Christianity. And you know what? Some of those might exist. So I'm not going to fault a whole organization or a whole movement just because there are some non-Christians or anti-Christians among them. And new converts too. Based on what I'm seeing in some of the, the content on that Facebook group, it doesn't seem like that's actually who they're going after. But who am I to know? I looked at it for more than 20 minutes, and he has admitted that he's only looked at screenshots of comments. So this video that he puts up is an hour and 31 minutes. Imagine doing an hour and 31 minute video about screenshots from a page that you haven't seen in context of comments that of people that you don't know run by a page of a person that you don't know about many different things that partially include your church, but also just um, the Pentecostal holiness movement in its entirety. So I think at the very least, he hasn't done his homework. Um, and I think it's going to show. I think he was upset. I think he was a little maybe, maybe mad that his likeness was being used in their promo video. Um, there's probably some give, there's back and forth, give and take from both sides of this. I'm not really in the middle of it but I'm responding to the comments that he's made because um, I think it's important for church, church unity because we need to be really careful that we don't respond to negativity, people not agreeing with what we believe, with saying that they're not saved. This has happened to me personally too. Oh, Brian doesn't believe in XYZ doctrine, therefore not saved. Um, the Bible's pretty clear on what you have to believe to be saved. And, I, and when we start, start throwing other things on top of that, that would be legalism. We're adding new standards that, the script, that Scripture does not proclaim as new requirements, new conditions for salvation. And what does that sound like? That sounds like workspace salvation. Oh, you have to believe, but you also have to do all these other things. Instead of remembering that's really faith in Christ is an active faith, and that active faith produces good works. Instead of and good works and the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is what en enables us to continue down the path of learning about Jesus, knowing him more personally, knowing scripture better, getting better doctrine. Now, do we stumble? Yes. Do some people just 
believe a little bit and call it good enough? Of course. Uh, Hebrews 5 and 6 talks about that. Uh, scriptures replete with examples of people going, I think this is good enough. Or, I didn't study that far and now I'm starting to question the Messiah. The whole book of Hebrews is about that. Let's not get in the weeds too far to say that specific doctrines are required for salvation. Um, that's just, that's a really, really bad path to go down and you, you start gatekeeping the kingdom for God, which he did not give us that role at all. We are to judge what other people do righteously. We are to not judge hypocritically, which Matthew 7 outlines, which I would argue that Pastor Brent is violating here um, in some of the things that he's saying. But to be fair, we all probably do it at some point or another. We'd much rather condemn other people's sin than look introspectively on our own sin. So this should be a reminder to all of us to try to not do that because it happens. It happens a lot. And the better we think we are being, the more righteous we think we're being, I think the higher the tendency is to look down our nose at people that are still at a different level of sanctification. All right, that was a lot I said after the first, whatever, 30 seconds of what I said. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Like I said, this video is an hour and 31 minutes, and I'm not going to make you guys watch all of it. But if you want the full context, um, by all means, the video is in the description. Watch as much of it as you like. If you, if you was to tune into my YouTube channel, you'd find that probably 9 out of 10 of my sermons are most simple gospel messages that if, that if you ain't strong in the faith, you wouldn't last here very long because I'm not going to cobble you all the way to heaven because the Bible, the mission of the church is to seek and to save that which was lost. When I say I have prayed and preached to and loved thousands of broken people, that is in no way, shape, or form an exaggeration. I preached to thousands just in the juvenile detention center. Before that, I did three years in the jail. I have converts with life sentences that I'll never see outside those walls. I've got young people that are saved that live in other states. Okay, so he's kind of giving his, his resume of what he's done. And I don't doubt any of that. I'm sure he has comfort in, in prison that he's he's worked with. Um, I'm sure he's doing a lot of stuff for the gospel, and I don't fault him for that whatsoever. I don't fault any Christian for following the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't fault him for that at all. Now he says, if you listen to his sermons, nine out of ten of them are a simple gospel message. So I did just that because he is claiming... The people on this page are just watching clips of him and coming to bad conclusions. So I watched a whole sermon. In fact, I watched the one right before this episode or this recording to make sure I had kind of his preaching in this moment. So I had the most accurate version of what he's saying. Um, so I listened to his, his sermon from the 1st of June. It's called, It's the Time for a Praise Break. Which, to be honest, I don't even know what that means. Praise Break. I think that's... Uh, a holiness, Pentecostal holiness phrase. Um, that's not something we get in scripture as far as that phrase goes, but correct me if I'm wrong. Anyways, here's an excerpt from his sermon. And now he says that you get the simple gospel message from him. Um, I had a hard time following what he was even saying. And let me just, just I'm a, I'll play this clip after this, but let me first read it because I think it's a little, hopefully a little bit easier to hear me say it than him screaming it. But he says, I think there's a big problem. I don't know what dead, dry churches people go to. 
I'ma tell you the reason I'm still here tonight. It wasn't because of rules and regulations. I wasn't afraid of them. It was the power of God drew me in. Heklo Shamakahaya. And when the door threw open, I say when the door flung open, I didn't want to go nowhere. I said I didn't want to go nowhere. I wasn't. The gate was open, but I didn't want out. The fence was down, but I didn't want out. I'm going to tell you, Kamashakahaya, we can have a praise break that will set you free, that will hold our young people here, and to save the lost. If I said three words there that you had no idea what those were, you're not wrong. This wasn't, I'm not quoting Joe Biden here. Quoting, <laughs> I'm quoting Pastor Brent. Um, so I think he kind of spoke in tongues a little bit there, supposedly, allegedly. We have a speaking in tongues episode if you want to read that or listen to that. Um, but yeah, here's him saying what I just said. I think there's a big problem. I don't know what dead, dry churches people go to. I'm going to tell you the reason I'm still here tonight. It wasn't because of rules and regulations, although I wasn't afraid of them. And when the power of God drew me in, and when the door threw open, I said when the door flung open, I didn't want to go nowhere. I said I didn't want to go nowhere. I wasn't. The gate was open, but I didn't want out. The fence was down, but I didn't want out. And I'm going to tell you, come I see, come higher. We can have a praise break uh, that'll set you free, uh, that'll hold our young people here, uh, and to save the lost. That's now clearly that wasn't the whole sermon, but I, I encourage you to listen to the whole thing. But does that sound like a simple gospel message? It sounded like a lot of ranting. Honestly, this guy speaks a lot about, you know, against the world and not act like the world. But the way he preaches sounds a lot like a locker room pep talk sounds like halftime for a college football team who's down by 14 at the half getting a pep talk on how to come back in the second the second half the third and fourth quarter um that's a different preaching style i'm not gonna fault a guy for a preaching style but the, the gospel message to be simple has to be understood and to be understood, I think you need to speak it in clear words and in, in maybe proper sentence structure and perhaps just quote scripture. I didn't hear any real gospel message out of that. I didn't hear really about repenting and believing in Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't be- hear anything about God the Father raising Jesus Christ from the dead and that enables Jesus to raise us from the dead, be buried with him, and be raised with him in new life. I didn't really hear much about that in his sermon. But, to be fair, it might have been in there. I just couldn't understand what he was saying. Or maybe he was saying it in tongues and I was not, didn't have the right language to be able to listen to what he was saying. Anyways, let's move on to the next clip. I'd be afraid on Judgment Day, Melinda said, if I ever had the nerve to condemn someone to hell like he does. She don't even know me. If I get a preacher comes to this church and I got people coming into this church and they don't look like they're supposed to be, they better not go trying to straighten them up. They better leave them alone because when a woman walks in this church in a pair of pants, the last problem she's got is those pair of pants. That's the least of her problems. I've gotten in trouble with holiness people. I get tickled when they wear I, I got people in my church got beards. I got people in my church wearing wedding bands. I got a variety of people that, that's growing, learning, coming, and 
Again, some things I've never preached for a sin. And just, again, just that automatically just assume because one preacher or something you heard you didn't like, that you just throw everybody in a big old barrel together. And the whole time you're trying to say, I'm not about judgment. I'm not about judging people. And the whole time, that's exactly what you're doing. You don't even know me. Again, this is, this is not about rescue bread. Because, again, if you know me, I drink a can of I don't give a rip every morning. And so... I'm not worried about it, but I felt the Holy Ghost tell me to get on here and, 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 and tell some, some sincere, hungry soul, listen, these people are, are, are tearing down preachers they don't even know. That's important. So he's he's claiming that the Brienne Holiness group is essentially saying that people aren't saved and they don't even know them, which is incredibly ironic and important later because he's going to make that specific claim about the people in in the Berean Holiness movement. He's also condemning them for generalizing the whole Pentecostal Holiness group as one monolith, which I agree we shouldn't do that. And I'm going to try really hard not to do that today. I don't know them that well. I know some people that are in or have left the Pentecostal Holiness movement. But I think it's important. We've said this with the IFB too. You can you can make a lot of generalizations about a denomination, and if you say them as 100% true across 100% of the churches, you will be wrong. You are slandering them. Um, but he's later going to also say that if you say one thing bad about a uh, Pentecostal holiness pastor, you're saying something bad about all of them. And he's going to say how much his doctrine is exactly like the rest of their doctrine. So he's going to he's he's essentially saying both sides of that argument. Don't generalize us, but also we're all the same. I'm not saying either way. I just find that comment kind of ironic. Um, we'll, let him, we'll let him continue. Do you know that there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven? Just one. And that is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you the times God's put his hand on me and used me because that don't make me special. But I promise you, if you talk to anybody that knows me, in my years, God's reached down and, and, and touched this old lump of clay and anointed it. And when you begin to blaspheme that, and you begin to mock that, you walk that dangerous line of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. When you say, I don't understand, or I don't know, but I, I, that's one thing. But when you... Take a man's sermon and just dissect it and mock him and pick him apart. Just by chance he happened to be anointed of the Holy Ghost. You tread on thin ice. Tread on thin ice. I like here when they talk about what does the Bible say about how to treat our enemies. Does it say to berate belittle them? Does it say to mock them? See, this is this sissy Savior that we've got. We've got this sissy Savior. Did you ever read where Jesus literally sat down and deliberately braided a whip. Not grabbed one, not said, give me that, and, and lost his temper. No. He sat down and braided a whip and proceeded to beat people with it and say, you have made my house a den of thieves. Did you ever notice that Jesus called people snakes, vipers, hypocrites, whited walls, Empty, sep empty sepulchers. I don't, we get this in. Now, when it comes to the lost, he was gentle. But when it comes to the religious Pharisees, 
of the day. He had no time for it. Let's talk on that, and then we're going to get let's get moving. Preachers, uh, you know this this once it, Natalie has never reached out to me. She's never called me. She's never asked to have the first discussion again. I, I don't get on Facebook, so again, I I, I do get on marketplace. That's business to do, and I'm off. I, I, I don't have time for it. I just don't even have time for it, and I'm, that's another thing. But, uh, you know, and people look over here and, and they say, you know, they've tried to get them to talk. Nobody's tried to get us to talk. They're not right. I know, I know some Bible scholars that, that said, Let, let's talk now. They don't want to talk. And they're deleting the comments just as fast as they can, just in case some real truth would get out there. So much judging for, for, uh, from people who don't, don't even know. Just, just get on there and rip a preacher over there. Rip a preacher over there, brother Enoch Snow. What a great man! Rip that preacher. Don't even know him. Just got up preaching. You didn't like it. Leave him alone. You don't want to go. Don't go. You don't like to shout and jump, and run. Don't do it. But don't attack the men of God because there's only one sin that can't be forgiven. That's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. When you say that ain't the Holy Ghost, ooh, be careful. Be real. Be real. Be real careful. We're going to get into the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit thing here in a minute. But first I want to mention he's talking about uh, they don't want to talk. They don't want to interact. They're deleting comments um, on this YouTube channel, Haven of Hope Tabernacle. Their comments are turned off in all their videos. <laughs> Just point out the irony here. You say people shouldn't delete comments. You're not even allowing them to comment. Um, but I'll open it right now. Pastor Brent, you are open invitation to come on and talk about this. Whenever you like, just reach out the church split at gmail.com and we'll have you on. Um, I'm not one to bash someone or talk about someone without giving them the opportunity to respond. So you have the opportunity to respond if you so like. Um, okay. <laughs> Blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Okay. I don't know if you notice here, but he's essentially saying that if you attack, you question, you dissect, you inspect what the man of God is saying, then you might be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. First things first. <laughs> we dealt a lot of this MOG, man of God mentality in the IFB. Um, while there are some, some small differences for what a pastor should be, um, if you really look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, what it outlines for elder and deacons is what it outlines Christians to be. Um, so it's, there's no standards there for the pastor that are not standards for sanctification for the general Christian. Um, James 3 talks about how not all of you should be teachers because you will be judged with a greater strictness um, for what you teach. So there's some caution on teaching, and I think there's caution from that because false teaching or even misguided teaching, uneducated teaching can lead someone to walk away from Christianity. And I think that's why we see warnings about false teachers in scripture because what you say can actually have an effect on someone's eternal destination, their walk with Christ, whether they even get there or not. Um, we'll get to a little bit more of kind of what is happening with some of this Brian Holiness stuff and how he's equating them walking away from the holiness movement as walking away from Christianity altogether. And maybe sometimes that he might be might be accurate, might be true. Okay, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Let's just read some scripture here. Matthew 12, 
22-32 says, Then a demon-obsessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him. So the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed, and said, Can, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is, is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the, the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And then Mark 3, 22-30, same situation, same event. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons he casts out the demons, and he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies, blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he is, has an unclean spirit. And then Luke 12 also gets at this in verse 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man, who also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay. There's several different views on what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But I think... The, the worst view of several of them um, is that any pastor who is preaching is, is doing it through the Holy Spirit. And if you speak out against them personally, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I think that's a really, really dangerous teaching. It creates this weird authoritarianism in a church. It creates a situation where the pastor is not accountable. They can do whatever they want. They claim the authority of the Holy Spirit and they can do whatever they want. Uh, if you are against um, the magisterium in the Catholic Church, that is essentially what the the Pope is doing when he's speaking ex cathedra. He he's supposedly speaking as the Holy Spirit. If you're speaking out against that, according to Pastor Brent, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Or maybe the Pope isn't speaking for the Holy Spirit, and maybe Pastor Brent isn't speaking for the Holy Spirit. Who knows? But what I do know 
is someone speaking with the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking in alignment with Scripture. And remember I read Natalie's comment earlier. She was saying she's still an evangelical Christian. She's very pro-life. She's very conservative. What she was rejecting only was the extra-biblical standards. So the Holy Spirit cannot be providing guidance to preach extra-biblical standards. Why would the Holy Spirit give additional information that wasn't provided in Scripture already? Why would the Holy Spirit, through a pastor, contradict Scripture? So it's a real dangerous line he's proclaiming. He's saying, I'm nothing, I'm just a jar of clay, whatever he said. Um, but then say, if you question him, you disagree with him, then you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, in case you're worried that even me talking about this or questioning what he's saying is accurate is unbiblical, I give you Paul in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 8. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So Paul's saying there, if you're getting a different gospel than what I taught you, you're getting a contrived gospel, a distorted gospel, that person should be accursed. That's a false teacher. Watch out for them. Now, I'm not going as far as saying that Pastor Brent's a false teacher, but I'm saying I think he's adding some extra biblical standards. Um, and I don't think those three sets of verses I gave you for um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit had anything to do with him. Also notice that, that Jesus is saying in those verses that you can talk and blaspheme Jesus himself. That will be forgiven. It's only blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other views of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Others believe that um, that that was calling what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit, the work of Satan. And that would be a little bit maybe similar in what Pastor Brent is saying. Um, but I think you're taking a stretch farther to say that a pastor who's preaching incorrectly um, or extra-biblically is speaking for the Holy Spirit. And if you call him out on it, that you have now committed the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Another view is that, um, which is a view that I hold, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is essentially the same thing as the house divided itself against itself cannot stand. It's a saved Christian who's blaspheming the Holy Spirit within them. Is saying, I don't believe you exist, I deny God, I was a believer, and now I'm not, and I'm essentially choosing to expel you like an exorcism, and I don't want you inside me anymore, I don't believe that you exist, I deny you outright. Going that far, it's not just a simple sin, it's not an accidental thing, it's a willful rejection of the Holy Spirit within you, and that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's my belief. There are several others too, but... We can argue about the specifics. I think Hebrews 6 gets at what I'm saying at, um, but you're not going to find any verses that are going to back up his MOG mentality, man of God. And to further prove that point, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. This is Paul talking against Peter in um, Galatia because Peter is acting all antsy and, um, and separatist against the Gentiles. He does not want to eat with them at the potluck. 
He's hanging out with the, the men from James, and he is essentially bowing to peer pressure. Now, Peter, in some aspects, was the head of the church of Jerusalem. Um, so if anyone's going to be the man of God here, <laughs> it's Peter. What does Paul say? But when Cephas, this Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I love that phrase. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so even so that even Barnabas led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's Paul calling out hypocrisy of men of God, of pastors, of apostles in a church, in front of everyone, and wrote it down for all of us to read. <laughs> so if we have an example from Scripture on how to handle pastors that are doing something that is hypocritical, that's not in line with Scripture, it's biblical to call that out even publicly and tell them that they stand condemned, that they need to change and they need to repent and they need to um, follow what Scripture is saying. And that's the whole point of this channel, honestly. How do we use Scripture to solve these problems? How do we prevent disunity in the church by looking back to Scripture? So what's Scripture saying? Call out pastors, call out teachers that are not in line with Scripture, where their actions are hypocritical to what they preach. Right, Paul's saying here that Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles before the rest of the men from James came. The men from James came, he gets a little uneasy. He's feeling like, eh, maybe I need to back out because I'm a Jew, so I need to separate just like they are because what will they say? How many times have you acted like that in the church because you're worried about what someone's going to say? Hmm. And then he calls, Paul calls him out on it. That's what are you doing? You're living like a Gentile but acting like you're better than them. You're not following all the laws. You're living free in Christ, just like they are. So, obviously it was a little bit hard in that time. The Jews trying to face the idea that the, the Gentiles, who Jesus was, the Messiah was supposed to come and destroy, adopts them instead into the body of Christ. And Peter was definitely on board with this, but even he was susceptible to hypocrisy because of peer pressure. So... Good reminder to all of us. I'm sure I've done it. And I pray for God to forgive me. Celebrate, I come out of holiness. Hey, hey, hey. Might want to open this book up. Might at least want to just have enough sense to say, I'm a different holiness, okay? Which you're not. But just at least say something like that. Because when you say, I used to be holiness, I come out of holiness, you come out of being saved is exactly what you've done. Pharisees. They love that word Pharisee. 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 Pharisee, Pharisee, you know, all you got to do is just talk to him about three, but Pharisee, Pharisee. So I don't know if you caught that, but he's saying that if you're saying that you're no longer part of the holiness movement, you are not saved. You're rejecting Christianity. And this is where I think he makes another logical fallacy, fallacy of composition. Now, here's the danger when you are teaching legalism. When you teach legalism and you say the gospel isn't just repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved for your sins. You're preaching that also means women can't wear pants. 
That also means King James onlyism. That also means X, Y, Z. You can't have beards, whatever. When you're saying also those things are requirements and conditions for salvation, you have now linked the gospel, which is true good news from the Holy Spirit, with man-made standards. When someone who's believing sees that these man-made standards are not true, and you've conflated those with the gospel, it is very likely that someone deconstructing the untruth will take the whole thing. They will throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. So he's not wrong here that it does happen. And we saw this happen with the IFB. And there are definitely these ex-evangelical communities, these anti-Christian, these uh, deconstructing movements that are have no desire to reconstruct. They just desire to leave. But why do you think they did that? When you couple the gospel with extra-biblical teaching, they find out the extra-biblical teaching is not in the Bible like you told them. Why would they believe everything else that you're saying? You say, oh yeah, but Jesus is the Messiah and he's here to save your sins and you are a sinner that you need to repent and believe. And if you do, you have eternal life in him. With, if you're wearing pants, you are not saved. If you leave the holiness movement, you're not saved. If you are reading out of those modern translations and you getting caught up in that Hebrew and Greek stuff instead of the King James, then you are not saved. Then when they see that that stuff isn't in scripture, then they walk away from the whole thing. It takes quite a bit of discernment, some maturity, some calculation, some prayer, and some real submission to Jesus to not do that. So I agree with him that that happens. And it happens, though, because of stuff like this. We need to be extra careful that we are not conflating the gospel with other standards. We shouldn't be adding to scripture. We shouldn't be creating doctrines that are not clearly found in scripture. Because when we do, and someone realizes that what you said was false about some doctrine, about some standard, they might just reject the whole thing. And who have you saved? Who have you helped? Who have you brought the good news? The good news doesn't need any help. The good news stands alone. And I agree here, he says this a lot. It's plain, it's common sense, and it's easy to discern from Scripture. So why add all this stuff to it? Why? When Jesus tells the Pharisees, you tithe of the smallest amount, and then he says, and this ought ye to do. He doesn't say you shouldn't worry about those little things, but you leave out the rest. Never one time does God tell the Pharisees, I think you ought to start running around half naked and watching filthy movies. And of course we know it's back every time. I'm being facetious here. Never one time does Christ say, I think you ought to just, you know what he says? He says, you ain't got the inside clean. And it's not either or. Okay? You can't have the inside clean and not have the outside clean. You can't have the outside clean. You can have the outside clean and not inside, but that you're not you're not saved. So you say, I knew somebody, bless God. Okay, he's not wrong here. And Jesus is saying that about the Pharisees. And also Jesus is not telling the Pharisees to run around half naked and to go see R-rated movies. <laughs>
I don't think that was a big concern for Jesus for them. Um, but yes, Pharisees, what he was getting at was that while you're pushing your legalistic standards on everyone else and saying this is, and you're looking down your nose at them, your heart is not clean. And he's not saying that, hell, okay, work on it and you can have a clean heart. He's saying the law was there to show you that you fall short and that you need a Messiah. So how silly is it that we know we have a Messiah and we still add all these rules that we need to add to make sure we're actually in Christ? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is showing us that the standard is unattainable through our works. You sin. It doesn't matter how many movies you don't see. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter how well you keep the Sabbath, which is Saturday, by the way. Um, it doesn't matter all these actual biblical standards that you keep and all the extra biblical standards that you think you need to keep and you keep. It ain't going to get you to heaven. The only way you're going to do that is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So, he's not wrong about the Pharisees, but he's borderline acting like it. Now, if your inside's not clean, outside's not going to be clean either. 100% agree. But what is what he's missing here is that these things don't necessarily make you unclean. If I'm a saved Christian who has a good heart, me watching an R-rated movie about airplanes isn't going to pull me out of salvation, nor is it going to make me unclean. Me going to a movie theater isn't going to do that. Me watching a YouTube video of Pastor Brent isn't going to do that. Me going on Facebook and, and uh, discussing with people, he's, he even says earlier, I didn't play it, about talking with other people's wives. Aren't you talking about other people's wives? <laughs> Weren't you chiding Natalie for not reaching out to you? Didn't... <laughs> She's not a person's wife. Um, anyways, it's these things aren't going to destroy your imageness. These aren't going to remove the blood of Jesus washing over you, cleaning you. Now, everyone's sanctification process is different. If you are coming into Christ and you had a drinking problem, your path of sanctification might be no alcohol forever. That might be what is part of your repentance because that are some of your demons that are going to pull you back away. But not everybody. Maybe you really did like watching half-naked women and R-rated movies and you get saved. That's probably one of the first things that you need to stop doing. And there's a lot of terrible movies out there. I'm not, I'm not promoting those by any means. But just because you go to a movie theater or just because you see an R-rated movie and someone drops the F-bomb doesn't mean you're, you're now dirty. <laughs> That's not how that works. And Jesus never says that. So it's about the heart, not about what you see around you, not about where you go. Paul is preaching in all kinds of terrible places. Jesus is preaching in all kinds of terrible places around terrible people. The woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the lepers, the sinners. They're everywhere. <laughs> So just keep that in mind. I was told just by one of her friends that was crying. I didn't I see it? Me, they are welcome to the freedom. We got out. You got out. Oh, praise God, you're out now. 
Now you can put on a pair of tight-fitting jeans. Now you can put you on a halter top or something. Now you can, and you say, oh, well, we don't believe in that. That's what they're doing. I don't care what you believe in. That's what all this crew's doing. Again, especially the ones I know. And I want to be careful. I don't want to be too judgmental. Although I'm not really afraid of justice. The Bible tells me if I get the, the beam out of mine, I can pick the splinter out. And he called me to preach. He's again generalizing them and saying, you want that freedom in Christ? Well, you think that means putting on tight, skinny jeans and putting on a halter top and being immodest. But really, what is modesty? And he's going he's gonna to read some scripture about it. But what is modesty? Modesty is attracting attention for your own pride from others. And yes, is that scantily clad clothing? 100%. Yes. If that's where your heart is, that is that's what God's judging, talking about being immodest. Could that also be, though, a well-pressed suit that makes you feel great and you know someone's going to look at you and go, oh, man, look at his shoulders, look at his chest. That guy's really been working out. If that's your goal when you're wearing a suit, you are no different than the woman wearing a very tight shirt. No different. Now, he's going to apply different standards of dress to men and women here because he's going to say, he's going to claim things from Genesis 3, and he's going to talk about how men just are going to look no matter what. So it's on both, it's on the men not to look and it's on the women not to dress immodestly. And I agree from that aspect that men shouldn't be leering and women shouldn't be dressing so that everyone looks at them. But if that's not where your heart is, if your heart when you bought those jeans wasn't that I really hope everyone looks at my butt, then you're not being immodest. Okay? Again, he just talked about with the Pharisees, about they forgot about what was inside. And what did he just do? He forgot about what's inside. The immodesty is not just what you look like, but it is what your heart is proclaiming. What are you desiring in your heart when you put on those clothes? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's a bunch of people that follow this Berean movement. They've walked away from what their parents taught them, which is the God them stoned in the Old Testament. Unthankful, well, even in the New Testament, if they wanted to be, they were still stoned in the New Testament. Unthankful, unholy. Now he's coupling unholy with not being in the holiness movement. <laughs> um, okay, I wanted to quick touch on his point there about um, not listening to your parents. Because if your parents told you that the holiness movement is the correct movement, and then you go, hey, mom and dad, that's not in scripture, you could be stoned in the Old Testament. <laughs> is that really true? What was the Old Testament actually getting at there? It was talking about obeying your parents. Well, the context was in becoming a man, preparing for bar mitzvah. The whole point was living as a covenant child of Israel, following Israel's laws, following the responsibility given Israel by God. And if you don't want to have any of that responsibility, but you want to claim to be a child of Israel, you are a leech. You are leeching off the society. You are claiming the covenant and the promises for Israel but not sharing any of the responsibility. That's what those verses were getting at. If you want to become a man of Israel, then you need to follow the rules and you need to follow the teachings of your parents because the parents are teaching you from Scripture. 
Scripture is not saying women can't wear pants. Scripture is not saying you must use the King James only. Scripture is not saying you must be involved and a member of the Pentecostal holiness movement, which began in the 1870s. <laughs> okay? Slightly different things. And Israel, if you become a man of Israel and you won't leave and you are going to be a leech and you are not going to share the responsibilities, they will remove you. And obviously, the death penalty was always one of like the most extreme punishments for a lot of these things in the Old Testament. But it was rarely done. Repentance was always accepted. Um, and even judges, if they, if they issued the death penalty more than a few times, they were considered bloodthirsty. So it wasn't happening like the way he's saying it. And the context that he's proclaiming is just plain untrue. And if your parents are not proclaiming the truth of the scripture, you are not to follow what they're saying. But yes, if your parents are living in Christ and they are telling you, they're proclaiming the true scripture and the true gospel, then yeah, listen to them. Listen to them. <laughs> but if your family is teaching you that what that you need to wear pants or you can't wear pants because you're a woman, because that's what God says, hey men, and you look in that scripture that they are handing you and it's not there, then you have every right to disagree with them and show them. But this Natalie person that he's so upset with, in her own words, did not reject any of that. She only rejected extra biblical standards. Doesn't seem like a problem to me. Anyways, we'll let him continue. Oh, also, before I get to that, he's talking about not boasting and and using this verse of all what's going to happen in the, in the last days. Um, just a reminder, because he's also going to mention several times about following the the traditions, the old paths, whatever, of the of the Pentecostal holiness movement. 1867, I think I got that date wrong earlier. 1867 is when a couple Methodist revivals created the holiness movement. That's far newer than the Protestant Reformation. That's far newer than some of the things that Augustine added to to the church. That's far newer than the Catholic Church. Um, so, as far as like the 2,000 years of church history, this is far on the modern side. And Will and I always say all the time on the channel, if someone's giving you a doctrine that was unknown to the church for literally more than a thousand years, almost 2,000 years, you should, you should give it extreme scrutiny because it's unlikely that it's orthodox and it's unlikely that it's what the apostles believed and it's what the early church believed. And if they weren't believing it, why? Is it because they just hadn't discovered this new thing? Or is it because men tend to twist scripture for our own desires all the time and we see that over and over and over again in the church and why we have so many denominations and why we have so much infighting and lack of unity in the church and doing things like this, calling people who are just rejecting extra biblical teaching saying that they're not saved. That's not our job at all. Anyways, we'll let him continue. When you are striving every day to see how carnal you can be. And again, I've, I've named a few names tonight. They, they haven't got, they, 
they, they'll tell you I'm closer to God than I've ever been. How do you get closer to God than you've ever been doing more carnal things than you've ever done? Even if they weren't sin, they don't draw you closer to God. Even if going to the movies was not a sin, if it wasn't, it doesn't draw you closer to God. Even if growing a beard is not a sin, and it probably isn't to most people, but for some it is, because God gave them convictions. There's a lot of fun stuff in that clip. I, was, I couldn't wait for that part to come. He asked the question, how does going to the movies bring you closer to God? How does having a beard <laughs> bring you closer to God? That's a great question, and it's an easy answer. When you shed rules that man made that God did not give, it brings you closer to God because you were removing this wedge in between you and Christ, which is man's pride, man's preferences, man's opinion. When you remove that, when you remove the wall between you and Christ, you do get closer. So going to the movies, no, not necessarily bring you closer to Christ just because it's going to the movies, but what does? Knowing that there's not scripture that says that you are commanded not to do this. That's your heart that matters. And Christ was constantly going out into the world, proclaiming the good news, doing miracles, um, talking in parables, feeding thousands. He was out there in the world. That's what we're supposed to do too. But when you say, what, what, how are you getting closer to God? You get closer to God by removing legalism. When you remove the standards that people create, you are closer to God. When the Jews removed the standards that the Pharisees were setting and realized it was about their heart and not necessarily about their actions, and that their heart will proclaim good actions, they became more Christ-like and they were closer to God. So this whole beard thing, do I want to jump on that? There is no scripture that says to not have a beard. None whatsoever. So we do have some scripture about beards, but not much. <laughs> Here's what it says from Leviticus 19.27. You shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. Or Leviticus 21.5. They shall not make any baldness on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts in their flesh. Does that sound like they need to be bald-faced? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus had a beard. How do we know? Because it was an outward sign of being Jewish at the time. Having a beard with uncut corners was a sign of being Jewish in the community. <laughs> so Jesus was walking around with a beard. And this whole thing he says where some believe that it's a sin because they have conviction over it, that's not how sin works. That's not how sin works. Sin is what the Bible proclaims as sin. Not what personal conviction you have on if something's sin or not. That's not how that works at all. There's not different levels of sin for me and for Brent. That's not how that works. But the beard thing is just insane. <laughs> it's just insane. It's not in scripture. And that's what Natalie was talking about. She had cognitive dissonance over the fact that there are things that they are proclaiming that are not in scripture. And woe to any pastor or church that is doing that. We should all be conforming what we are saying to what Scripture is saying. And he will, Pastor Brent, to his credit, will mention things. There's morals that we pull out of Scripture. He'll bring up abortion. I think that's pretty clear in Scripture, especially from Exodus 22. But is there a specific verse that says, Thou shalt not kill babies in the womb? No. But it says that he knit us in, in the womb. It says that... that uh, 
John the Baptist leap for joy because he knew as an inf- as a preborn infant that he was by Jesus. We have personhood. We have easy verses about not murder. We have Exodus 22 saying that um, that if you if men quarrel and and cause harm to a pregnant woman's child, that they pay life for a life. So we have biblical deduction from several verses to proclaim a standard and a moral. But not all morals are explicitly stated in Scripture. So I will give Pastor Brent credit there that everything isn't exactly spelled out word for word. It's like, oh, well, what are we supposed to do? What, what kind of material do we need for a pulpit? Well, guess what? That's not in there. But does it draw you closer to God? You know how silly people look when they go, whoo, I grew me a beard and I'm a more closer God than I've ever been. Are you serious? Now, if you tell me I've been reading my Bible nonstop and I'm telling you when I get closer to God than I've ever been, I can believe that. It happens here all the time. That is what they're saying. That is what Natalie's saying. She's saying she's reading her Bible. She's finding some of the things that the, the Pentecostal holiness movement was saying are not in Scripture. And now she is closer to God, knows more clearly what the standards of sin are, is avoiding sin as best as she probably can, but not necessarily avoiding the things that aren't sin. And yes, if you do that, you are closer to God. But he's saying that you want to be carnal, that you you have these desires to just be half naked or whatever. He'll He'll kind of gaslight or use hyperbole to describe Berean holiness. So, yes, when you read scripture for what it says, it you tend to drop legalistic standards. You just tend to. That happens. So, yeah, what he's saying, reading scripture brings you closer to God. Bingo. He answered his own question. Congratulations, Pastor Brent. Despisers of those that are good. Why would you hate Brother Jim Morris? And, and, and call all these names. You say, well, I didn't call him. And you call one holiness preacher that, you called us all that. No, we haven't. Oh, yes, you have. All right, I told you he would do that. That he would he would generalize himself among the rest of the holiness pastors. Okay, that's his prerogative. But don't get mad at them for generalizing then if you're generalizing. Um, also, I should make it very explicitly clear here. You should not be calling people names. Because that is proclaiming something in your heart. If you are calling people names. Now, now when I'm calling my co-hosts names and being silly and being fun, and in my heart I'm not being derogatory, I'm just having fun joking around with him, that's perfectly fine. Because it's a heart thing. So it's not necessarily what I say, but it's what my heart is saying, what my heart is doing. That's what we should be examining. And that's, I think, the overarching message of much of Scripture is watch your heart. And that's what the Pharisees had wrong. Their heart was in the wrong place, but their actions were acting correctly. You're following the law to the T, but their heart was not in it. Their heart was sinning while their actions were not. And Jesus is like, you missed it. You still need a Savior. But God's a man of war. Listen to what he said. It's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Not correct me because I've been living righteous and tell me how that I need to quit living righteous and start compromising, but, but giving for, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And boy, that- but that's what they're saying. 
they're saying you're not being righteous by doing the things that Scripture isn't saying you're righteous for. Those are extra biblical. Those are not what is making you righteous. Christ has already made you righteous and you're supposed to act like him. And that isn't about <laughs> wearing pants or not. <laughs> so I think he's got the right moral here, but I think he's missing the overall point. He's actually proving himself wrong accidentally here. And part of it we just said too is, what is what are we supposed to do with scripture? We're supposed to rebuke. So when Berean Holiness is saying, scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says this. They are using scripture properly, not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, to correct other Christians from saying the wrong thing, from doing the wrong thing, from preaching the wrong thing, from teaching the wrong thing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the whole point of this channel. Go back to scripture. Because guaranteed in almost all tensions and, con and conflicts in the church, someone's not following scripture. Oftentimes, no one's following scripture. So what does scripture say? And if you're on the side of scripture doesn't say that, you need to repent. You need to bend your will to God's. You need to mold yourself to what scripture is saying. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. Now, here's the commission to the preacher. Everybody, all the preacher, the preacher. Here's what God said. And this was given to me when I was ordained. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Oh, reprove. Rebuke. Oh, and exhort with all long-suffering doctrine, for the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned on to fables. And that's exactly what's going to take place at this convention. There will be no preaching, because as many have commented, that preaching, that's crazy, man. That guy needs halls. That guy needs this. Mocking the preaching, that foolish preaching that God said he chose to win this world, and they will heap to themselves teachers. I don't teach nothing. But again, you can make this Bible say anything you want. I can go over where, where, where Paul told one church, all I want you to do is avoid things offered idol and avoid fornication. That's all I want. And I can say, that's all God wants. He just, but you know what? I think God's still against abortion, even though Paul didn't tell that church. I don't think God wants us to be drunk because there was other scriptures where Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor drunkards, nor feminine, nor abusers themselves of mankind. But if you just take that one scripture, all, 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 all Paul said, all he's worried about is just, just, just these two things. That's all. No, that was all that church needed. They had everything else in order, so he just dealt with those two things and said, You need to work on this. And all through the Bible, when you put it all together, you can make this Bible say that you want. And some ha have got out of the book. And there's plenty in here that I'm struggling to live. I don't need to add to it. I just want to live what it says. Let's hurry up and wrap this thing up today. And I appreciate all that have joined us. I appreciate all that have looked at this. Again, I did not sit down for hours. I have not sat for hours and studied and wrote notes. And I've, I've literally, I scanned through those comments before I walked out of here. 20 minutes before I walked out of here, I scanned through some of those comments. And I have yet to be on their site. And I've spent maybe two minutes looking at some comments somebody sent me. That should give you pause. He spent two minutes of preparation for an hour and 31 minute video. I spent hours preparing for this. I listened to entire sermons of his. I listened to this whole video twice. I took notes. I made 
specific notes of timestamps where he's saying things that I don't think are right. He took an entire page with, when I looked at it, it was like 7,000 followers. He took an entire page of 7,000 followers, took a couple screenshots of comments, read them for two minutes. He's like, I know them. And he just said, I know at their conference there's not going to be any preaching. That's very confident statement about someone and something that he knows almost nothing about, it seems. That should be a problem. That should give you pause on what he's saying. And hopefully, if he sees this, gives him some pause on maybe pull a little more time into understanding before you rebuke, um, before you characterize. Could I have put more time in this? Sure, I could have. I think I'm doing this video justice, but... Um, there's obviously always more time that you can spend understanding and learning someone. And I'm probably going to spend more time listening to his content, to be fair to him. And again, he's more than welcome to come on the show and talk to us about this, about his church, about what they actually believe, and maybe clarify some things that maybe I got wrong. I'm humble enough to accept those corrections and criticisms. But um, I think you should really be concerned about making an hour and a half video about something you read for two minutes. For comments that may or may not be in context, might be responding to other people, and probably some comments from people that maybe don't have good discernment and judgment and understanding of the Pentecostal holiness movement and are saying some nasty things about his church and about his preaching and about his teaching. That's perfectly fair, too. That's very possible. Um, I think we just need to have a little more discernment than that. Well, you're you're going to stand there with people who had their heads chopped off for the gospel's sake. You're going to stand there with people who had their bodies burned. And you really think you're going to tell God how you was abused by being raised in a holiness church and couldn't wear pants? Do you really think you're going to stand before God and go, God, I, I know what those people went through that was fed to the lions. I was fed to the lions by my preacher. He said I couldn't listen to rap music. Point of agreement. I 100% agree with what he's saying. I 100% agree. We are going to be in front of the white throne. And you're right. We are going to be standing by martyrs. We're going to be standing by people that have been literally burned to death for their belief in Jesus. Their heads chopped off. Their families killed. Their possessions removed from them. And all sorts and manners of terrible things that have happened to the martyrs. And their families. Maybe they live, but their family was killed in front of them. This happens. This happens. Um, yes. And to equate that with some teachers preaching that was not exactly perfectly accurate is not abuse. I 100% agree with them there. Now, there is real church abuse, and we have covered that over and over and over again in this channel. We've had great stories about it. I think of Julia's one that we had prior our most recent one. There's real abuse that happens in church. Now, I agree with him. Preacher telling you that you can't listen to rap music or you can't wear pants is not abuse. It's not. Now, as Natalie proclaimed, becoming homeless because you said, hey, I think we need to go look at scripture. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> that might be. Um, but yes, I. and to echo what I said before, I am totally against victimhood culture where we have people that play victims that use it as counterfeit currency to garner attention, to to get special treatment. That's anti-gospel. 
the gospel is true for everyone and everyone gets equal access to repentance and, and faith in Jesus. You don't get a better, you don't get an easier leg up to the gospel because something bad happened to you. You don't. You don't. So be careful what you call abuse, um, but also to everyone else, be careful that you downplay real abuse because you disagree with them. Both sides of that extreme are really dangerous. We're to see Jesus. It's not complicated. Young lady, you come traipsing down the aisle in a pair of tight jeans, the young men's eyes are turned to you. And that's not why we go to church. When you go traipsing down the aisle in a mini skirt, all eyes are trying to avoid you or, or the weak are looking at you. That's not why we go to church. We go to church to praise God. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis and just some good common sense. We don't need to Greek. We don't need to Hebrew. And two people in the world and they were husband and wife. And he goes, they, they sin, they know they're naked. They know more than most of you homeless people know. Or used to be homeless people. And they know they're naked. So they say, we've got to get something to cover us. And they make them some fig leaves and cover themselves. How do they know which parts of the body to cover? Because the nature itself teaches us. We know. God walks into the garden and there's only two people alive and they're husband and wife and he says, that's not enough clothes. And he makes them what? Coats. Coats. And covers them. little common sense. They didn't have sewing machines. They couldn't make clothes like we do. Things had to be just sewed together, make two halves sewed together. John the Baptist had a leather girdle on. Okay? We got common sense. But don't tell me God doesn't care what we wear. Okay? Then he said it's abomination for a man to wear that which pertains to a woman. The woman that demands Deuteronomy. Okay? Don't tell me God doesn't care. Then we find a man named Legion. And God saves him. And guess what? He quits running around without his clothes on and without any message. He goes and puts clothes on. God wants us covered. Let's establish that first. Many people on this conversation, upon these chats, are going out and laying on the beach in, in less than Adam and Eve had on, and God said it ain't enough, and it was only one man and one woman in the world, and they were husband and wife. They're not trying to live. They're not even trying to be modest. I don't know how Natalie dresses. I don't know, and I don't care. So part of what he's saying is true, and part of it, I think, is, is an exaggeration, maybe not quite accurate. Um, yes. It's kind of interesting in, in Genesis 3. Um, Adam and Eve first sow some fig leaves and try to cover themselves. God confronts them, curses Satan, establishes punishments for Adam and Eve, then makes them garments from animal skin and provides those to Adam and Eve. And I wonder, did he make a... <laughs> was Adam wearing pants? <laughs> was Adam wearing a suit? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And I don't know that you can extrapolate everything you say. Now, the when it, in Scripture when it's talking about men shouldn't wear what is for a woman and vice versa, it's talking about what was going on in pagan temples where they were dressing boys to look like little girls for sex. <laughs> um, it was done for perversion for sexual immorality. That's what it's getting at. Now, in our culture right now, because he, he mentions, I don't care what they do in, in Ireland, I don't care what they do in Japan, whatever, because he's, he's 
trying to pull pull away some of the contradictions or the the comparisons of their cultures and how what men and women wear because it is cultural it is um but also sin is not dependent on culture at all it's not now doing something that is part of culture can proclaim sin right paul talks about that in first corinthians Women there with shaved heads are essentially proclaiming that they're prostitutes, that they don't need men. Um, so they're proclaiming a cultural norm through their outward appearance and proclaiming their sin. Not a, it's not a sin that they have shaved heads. It's the actual sin that they're doing, and they're proclaiming it with their outward appearance. That's what that's what Paul's condemning in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians. Um. In America, it is culturally appropriate, culturally appropriate for men and women to both wear pants. Those are not distinguishable between gender. Now there are men in female pants. We can get into all that. Um, he also talks about women walking in church with, with tight jeans and every guy is looking at her butt or whatever. Um, and that's sinful. It is sinful for the men to be looking lustfully on some woman that they're not married to. 100%. 100%. Don't don't deny that whatsoever. Um, if that woman put on tight jeans and she's like, I hope all the men look at my butt as I walk down the aisle. Yep, that's not. He's one hundred percent right. That's not what church is for. But she's just wearing culturally appropriate clothing that she is being modest about in her heart. It's not a sin. That's the nuance I think he's missing from this. And this goes for men too. I want men to think about when you're putting on that Sunday suit. Why are you putting it on? Are you putting it on because you want men? You want everyone to look at you, men and women. <laughs> Are you trying to show how how much money you got? You're like, hey, check out the suit. Do you know what brand this is? That sounds like that's sin. That's what it seems like what Paul's talking about in Scripture. So there's some nuance here that I think he's missing, but that's why we're here. I think everyone needs to re-examine scripture and make sure that you're actually right and make sure you're you're following what the morals and the proclamations that scripture is actually providing and if you're extrapolating standards based on biblical data make sure you're doing it in the right way and make sure you're not adding standards to other people just because that was what you did for you to help get keep sin away because your sanctification process is different than others to let the women be silent in the church now understand we let the women testify teach this the woman is not to usurp authority over man. When you get on a channel and you tear down Brother Kevin Lloyd, that alone will send you to hell. That, just that right there. God, if, if he was wrong, God never called you to deal with it. Oh, boy. Um, if anyone follows this channel, you know I'm very much not egalitarian. But what he just said is not correct. And he's saying that Natalie, as a woman, cannot say anything bad, even if she's correct about a male pastor, because that would be her usurping authority, and that's going to send her to hell. No, no, that's not. He is reading scripture wrong. Uh, yes, I think Paul is being very clear about women usurping authority in the church, especially in the church that, that Timothy, Timothy's at 
they are following these Greek gods and goddesses, and those are proclaiming that the women are in charge. That's why he makes a parallel to Adam and Eve and kind of sets up, I think, I think he is proclaiming complementarianism there. Um, but he's not saying it the way he's saying it. This is authoritarianism. Um, and this is just downright insane. Like women have the ability to discern rightfully. And they can call out on social media <laughs> if someone is preaching incorrectly. Now, they should do it in a, in a thoughtful, non-derogatory, non-name-calling way in my perspective because I think that one, doesn't muddy your message – and two, it's a lot better to attack an idea than I attack a person. Because I think you get a lot farther that way. You can separate someone's ideas from them. And I think Pastor Brent's struggling to do that with Natalie and the rest of the Brian Holiness movement is separating the people from their belief system and even separating his belief system from what the gospel is saying. Oh, now with that, and Coach Ken, I'm not even worried about it. Now, you know, they go, here they'll go, oh, he's a, he's a big, he's a male chauvinist, he's a white supremacist, whatever, you know. I love my wife, I've been married to her for 27 years, and I know, I know there's a lot out there that would, if I could go cheat on her and do some stuff like that, you know, and I could get free from this whole way that says don't cheat on your wife and all that stuff, I know that a lot of, I, I would have a lot in common with a lot of these people that follow Natalie, if I just cheat on my wife, get divorced, remarried, all that good stuff. And by the way, I got people in my church that's divorced, remarried, we love them. But you know, as a holiness preacher, I'm really just enjoying being my wife 27 years. I'm happy with that. But you know, if, 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 me, if cheating on her and all this is to be free, and I know you're saying, oh, but they don't teach that. And I know that's not their platform, but that's what they've surrounded themselves by. Okay. I think that's the last clip I'll play from him. But this idea. He's chastising Natalie and the Brian Holiness for surrounding themselves with people that, I guess, want to cheat on their wives. <laughs> um, but remember, that's something that Jesus did. Jesus surrounded himself with people that we would say are not fully walking in the Lord. There are people that are cheating on their wives in your churches or cheating on their husbands. They're in your churches. And... We're to surround ourselves with sinners because we are to give them the gospel. We are to make disciples of all nations. So being in proximity of sinners does not make you a sinner. If it did, Jesus was a sinner and then he was not the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So again, we can, we can extrapolate from biblical data to discern what scripture is saying. That is perfectly within our capabilities. I agree with Pastor Brent. It's common sense. It's straightforward. It's obvious. Um, I didn't say it earlier too, but you hear him kind of shy people saying, you don't have to go to Greek, you don't have to go to Hebrew. I mean, you can. Those are the languages that the scripture was written in. You don't need to be a King James only as to understand scripture. Now, I read from both ESV and King James today and some of the scripture I provided. Um... Because I speak English, and the people that are watching this, for the most part, speak English. Um, but I encourage anyone to go to the Greek and Hebrew on anything that I'm saying, any of the verses I'm using, to make sure that what I'm extrapolating from the English translations is accurate. And we have a whole King James-only series on this channel on how, how it came about, the arguments they use for it. But I would challenge anyone to find where King James onlyism is in scripture. And don't give me the psalm verse about 
word of God is tr is tried seven times in a f furnace as like silver. That's not, <laughs> that's not anywhere talking about King James onlyism. That is so far out of context. It's not even funny. Show me where it says the King James in the New Testament. In the Old Testament it doesn't say. So be careful about those extra biblical standards. All right. So I wish Pastor Brent all the best. I think he's missing some nuance of the Brian Holiness movement. I think he's making some good points, and I think he's making some bad points. And again, I don't know him. I don't know Natalie. I just got sent this video, and I thought it was interesting, and it really proclaims some of the issues that we see in the church. I thought it was a great way to kind of walk through some of these issues, see some of these same fundamentalist ideas in a different denomination other than the IFB, um, and see where some of these other rifts occur in the church, and maybe how they can they can see each other. Maybe the Brian Holiness side, if, if they're doing it, need to back off on the name-calling, and maybe make sure that you're attacking just bad points and not necessarily people. Um, and the Pentecostal holiness side, stop saying that people that don't agree with you are going to hell. Stop saying that women can't point out when a male pastor is saying incorrect things and points to scripture. Um, stop equating people wanting to live by biblical standards as wanting to be half-naked carnal people living of the world. I think that is a gigantic inflation and hyperbolic response to what they're trying to say. And again, I encourage you to listen to Haven of Hope Tabernacle's YouTube channel. I encourage you to follow and read the Brian Holiness Facebook page. I think they have a podcast too. Listen to what they're saying. Um, educate yourself in what's going on here and you can interact if you want, but I hope more of this just serves as a way to examine where churches go wrong and where these disagreements get into vitriol and name-calling and misunderstandings and splitting and anger and hurt feelings. Um, you shouldn't be homeless living in a car because you told people in your church that we need to see we need to go back to what the what the scripture says. Be careful about inflating the gospel or conflating the gospel with extra biblical standards. So, hope this was helpful. Hope this was interesting. Um, and again, links to everything in the description. Look at it yourself. I will say that Pastor Brent, he's right that many of these de deconstructive movements also have unbelievers among them. But so do churches. Some are there for bad reasons. I 100% agree. We have definitely seen that ourselves, Will and I, in some of the IFB stuff and some of the other um, things that we've gotten involved in. We definitely have seen that. We have called out on it. Feel free to go back and look at our episodes. We call this out several times. Our most popular video is calling out um, and responding to a very popular Christian musician rejecting Christianity. So we see this. We 100% agree. What do you think will happen when you tie unbiblical teaching with the gospel? When one sees what you're saying is wrong, it's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater and reject Christianity altogether. 
That's why real scholarship helps. Real adherence to scripture, coherent standards, following God's ways, not man's, and not elevating preachers to that of God's stature. And to those that have deconstructed, don't neglect reconstruction. Don't avoid it and don't miss it. This is a critical part of your journey. I know it feels like you were lied to, and it's because you were. But not everything has a lie. The truth of the gospel was still there, and you don't and don't let a few prideful people in the church with probably poor theological training who regurgitate what they were told to say to cause you to reject the God of the Bible, the true Messiah, and the everlasting life with Christ. You are special. You have intrinsic worth and value. Jesus died for you. Don't neglect the best gift of this life. The world is enticing. Enjoy the freedom of Christ that he gave you, but within the bounds of what Scripture calls us to do and not do. Everyone's sanctification is different, but apostasy isn't sanctification, and destruction without reconstruction is just apostasy. And the fool says, there is no God. Thank you for watching. This has been The Church Split. Take care, and God bless. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also wanna thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Here yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi guys, my name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.